Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World Podcast. The topic of this episode is the most productive rental properties that you can own. These are the properties that produce the best returns. They're like trophy assets. And for real estate investors, they're the crown jewel of their portfolio. My hope in sharing this wisdom with you is that you will be inspired and educated to acquire these assets as well. Because after all, real estate, specifically rental property, is the greatest investment vehicle that has ever existed. I've already proven that in the past, comparing that to every other major investment vehicle, and the right rental property beats them all. But also, you could make mistakes, and you probably know people that have had nightmares with their rental property. So how do you avoid those? Well, in a previous podcast on the five rules of rental property, I share with you how you avoid those. And the first rule is on the subject of productivity. My first rule of owning rental property is to own properties that have a productivity rate of 12% or more. What is the productivity rate? In my opinion, this is the best way to define productivity on a rental property. And it's the net operating income, or NOI. Net operating income is all of the gross income, less or pulling out all of the expenses, except for debt service, except for the mortgage payment. Everything but that. You have your NOI divided by how much you are in it. In it. And that is defined by how much you paid for the property, whether you used a loan or you took it over subject to or you did owner financing, how much you paid for it, plus whatever else you put into the property before you got it fully leased out. So we have this in it number. And that is also going to, of course, include if there's some holding costs between the time you purchase and the time you get your tenants and you get everything dialed in. But this right here, this net operating income over how much you have in it defines the productivity of a property, how well it throws off cash on a consistent basis. And yes, some people make the argument, well, Phil, what if it's a property that has a really strong appreciation rate, but it doesn't have as strong of a cash flow rate? Because I want you don't always get to have both. Well, I think you can have both, but let's just define right now why this is so important for productivity. It's because the goal is for you to own the asset long term. And if it's always appreciating, that's great, but the only way you benefit from that appreciation, besides seeing it on a piece of paper and being able to smile, is that you could potentially do a cash out refinance. Ah, but here's the problem. If your property is not productive, then what's going to happen is you can't do a cash out refinance because when you do that, the debt service payments get so high that now you have no more cash flow. So you need this foundation of productivity no matter what. And that's why this is my first rule of owning rental property. But I get this series of complaints when I bring this up. They say, Phil, where am I going to find those? Or, or worse, they don't exist around my area, Phil. I see comments such as, oh, uh, was this video put together 10 years ago before where we are today? As if 10 years ago, we didn't have real estate competition. It's always so funny. People that have never been in real estate think that somehow the old days were better. Okay, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and so I get a lot of complaints about this because this is a high bar. Yes, it is. And so before I dive into which properties are, are able to pull this or even more, I need to make sure your mindset is right. And I know that's kind of a divergent, but it's got to be done because otherwise when I explain how this can be done, you're going to be saying in your mind, yeah, but, oh yeah, but, yep, yeah. no yeah, buts here. 
Let me get your mind right, right now, and then we'll dive into exactly what properties pull this kind of productivity. A productive mindset starts with being open-minded. There's so much more out there than you could ever imagine. There's so much more to our world. And so often real estate investors get tunnel vision and they don't realize some of the great opportunities right underneath their nose. I feel like every day I see deals and I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. And some are right there in front of me. So you've got to be open-minded. You also have to be unrealistic. Who has ever done anything great in history being realistic? Why settle for being realistic? You've heard the old Henry Ford phrase, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So be unrealistic. You also have to think excellence as opposed to mediocrity. Why settle for mediocrity? You only live once. Try to do as best you can in this broken world. Why settle for lack when you can be excellent? And here's the bigger problem. It's mostly because people argue their limitations. So they argue why they can't do something. I see it all the time. They're arguing their limitations to me and we're already doing those deals in their marketplace. And I'm like, why would you just stop arguing your limitations? There's so much more out there. There's so much more you can do. There's so much more excellence you can achieve if you just focus that way. In fact, if you've never seen that comedy skit with Bob Newhart where he's a psychiatrist, uh, check that out. And that's where the phrase, stop it, comes from. <laughs> and that's what I mean when I, when I hear someone start arguing their limitations. My first reaction is just, stop it, stop it. <laughs> okay, so focus on excellence. It's going to take some work. As uh, Thomas Edison said, and I'm maybe paraphrasing here, like all great opportunities, it's stressed in overalls and looks a whole lot like work. So unfortunately, a few of you are going to probably cut off here because, oh, shoot, work. I don't want to do that. But yes, it's going to take some work to develop some trophy assets in your portfolio. But it's going to be worth every moment of it. Owning highly productive rental properties means that you're a collector and have a collector's mindset. Have you ever met a collector that's really proud of their common stuff? I mean, my kids, they collect this stuff, and I never hear them cheering over commons. But if they open up that wrapper and there's a rare in there, oh, do they get excited. So yes, this is about collecting rare and beautiful assets. It's not about collecting thousands and thousands of commons that everybody else can. Be a collector. Be proud of those trophy assets that you collect. And lastly on mindset, creativity is king. Creativity is fostered with the other five. You're open-minded, you're unrealistic, you're striving for excellence, you understand it's gonna take some work, and, you, and you're excited about the rare. When you have this, you can be creative. Now, I'm not saying you have to create some brilliant new product that gets launched on Shark Tank, no. I'm saying you can take a little bit of creativity and look at a property, maybe just slightly different than someone else, and find that way to create that higher level of productivity. Oftentimes when people have told me, wow, that's a good idea, Phil. Wow, I should have thought of that. I'm like, well, it was kind of obvious. It was just kind of staring at me in the face. These are not earth-shattering ideas. What I mean by creativity is being flexible enough to see how you can make a little bit more money with that deal, where you are able to increase the rents, 
but it helps the tenants as well. It's a win-win for all parties. And don't think it has to be earth-shattering. It can be straightforward and simple. Afterwards, you can look at it and say it seemed like an obvious idea, but yet you were still being creative. Creativity is king in being able to produce the highest levels of productivity. All right, so the moment you've been waiting for, properties that can produce 12% or more productivity. All right, well, these are not going to be wrapped in a bow. They're not going to be perfect and pretty. I'm not about to throw you on some bus to go on some tour to look at some turnkey properties. None of that mess. No, no, these are properties you're going to have to work for. They may not be beautiful and perfect when you first get them. You may have to improve them. You may have to shape them. You may have to mold them into the final product. So these are ideas. This is like a buffet. You choose. I'm going to share several ideas that work. You may have some others. And so we're going to dive in with the attitude that even if you start somewhere, it's not where you start, it's where you finish with these deals, but these are the ones that have the raw ingredients to produce the great results. The first set of properties that produce 12% plus productivity are what I call alternative use, meaning it's, it's using that property in a unique way that may not be the standard traditional highest and best that has typically been used for that property. As you all may know, my favorite is short-term rentals. I literally have a series on how to own vacation rentals wisely. I love this. I've made so much money with these. They're still an absolutely amazing angle. The biggest challenge right now is finding deals at the right price because COVID shot property values up in certain markets by double or triple in the areas where we do a lot of vacation rental investing. But our people are still doing deals. I was looking at one on Friday, so they're still absolutely there. You just have to Get them off market. Absolutely love this. I have another video from years ago on how to turn a house into a cash flowing machine. And in there I talk about student housing. I did this at some time ago where I would turn houses into a bunch of college kids in each room uh, rentals. And uh, that was very productive as well. I'm not as in tune with this right now. I don't know where this world stands as far as kids going to college. Maybe it's just as much in demand as before. You may know more about that than I do. But it's alternative use, right? Because you're renting by the room. And even if I don't call it student housing, if it's boarding rooms, it, it's the idea that you go from renting the house or it could be multifamily or whatever the property is, from renting it from just one tenant to basically several tenants. And another example I give here is a halfway house. I know very little about this, so I may be uh, stepping out of turn by even mentioning this, but you know, we have a huge problem with drug addiction and, and mental health in America, and this too might be a way where you can turn a property into a whole bunch of uh, individual tenants paying you more than if it was just one tenant. So this is the idea of alternative use. What's the big problem with alternative use? It has to do with zoning or land use laws. You've got to be very careful here, but I love that part of it. I love the idea of being able to thread the needle because I'm a collector. I like looking for the rare. And I like looking for those pockets or those opportunities where it's legal to do it here, but everybody else it's illegal because I knew the zoning laws and I read through and I found a couple of loopholes. I've done that several times. I think it's a blast. But you do have to understand the zoning because the problem with alternative use is that there are governments out there that don't like them. And I'm sure there's some neighbors that may not like your halfway house or student house next door. So you do have to make sure you follow the laws and you know them as good or better than the government. To be clear, the government doesn't always know their own laws. I have proven them wrong over and over and over again. In fact, this past week I did three times to a, to a particular inspector. So they don't know their laws. 
So you need to know them well enough that if you if you embark on this, that you can defend yourself. And uh, if you defend yourself wisely, they will back down. The government will eventually say, okay, you're right, I'm sorry, and they'll move on to greener pastures. But don't assume that by calling them that they know their own laws. So yes, this does take a little bit of investigation. My favorite, of course, is short-term rentals. This has allowed me to take properties that if I rented it for, let's say, $1,500 or $2,000 a month, I'm, I'm able to grow six, dollars $8,000 a month as a, as a short-term rental and produce absolutely extraordinary returns. 12% is a minimum, and I do a whole lot better on many of my short-term rentals. I'll touch on this one briefly. There are areas where single-family home rentals can produce these kind of results. They are outliers. They exist. There are certain pockets. You can go look it up on Zillow and search it, where you can buy a property for $20,000, a three-bedroom, two-bath house, truly, even in today's market, and it could rent for six, seven, eight dollars $800 a month. So these are real. Now, I've never lived in those kind of areas. It's Tennessee. It's Florida for the last 12 years, and my assets are in Tennessee and in Florida. So I don't personally have this, but I know they're real because some of my apprentices have these. So it does exist. And then for some, what they do is in those kind of areas, they turn some of those or the, the entire portfolio into Section 8. Section 8 is where the government's paying the bill. And again, this is a controversial subject on Section 8. But uh, if you have the right system in place, I know investors that do Section 8, they do very, very well. So it can work. But again, I'm kind of partial. I like to be near my properties or in the case of my properties in Tennessee that are short-term vacation rentals, I have a very good system in place. I travel up there. I have family there. So I have a way in which to manage my assets somewhat long distance. So for those of you that might be in California saying, well, where can I buy a single family outlier? Okay, but you may not want to do that because it might be too far of a distance. And to really create the system and be able to be on the ground there from time to time, it might be pretty tricky. So single family outliers do exist, but let's move on because there's a lot greener pastures. A treasure trove of opportunity is waiting for you in multifamily. Multifamily is going to be two, three, four, and on above. We'll talk about on above as commercial, five plus in just a moment. But multifamily, this is where you can produce a lot of income. Why? That's the name. They also call these income-producing properties. But you might be saying, Phil, yeah, but if I go look for a duplex or a triplex or a quad that's for sale on the market, oh my goodness, they're selling for so high. Okay, they probably are. What I'm talking about is off-market, or better yet, you creating additional units. There are parts of this country right now that they've had to change the zoning because they can't build properties fast enough, population's growing too fast, and so what they're asking is they're saying, look, you can turn your single family into a duplex. You can make that basement legally its own separate unit. And so I have some apprentices doing that right now. They're doing great. So you can create these, these multifamily properties. You turn a two unit into a three unit, a three into a four unit. And fours are marvelous because you can still get your residential 30-year fixed rate financing while at the same time you have four units to spread across your risk. Multifamily is not just about creating additional units. It's about creating more income for each unit, for example, adding laundry facilities in each one of the units. A lot of these larger hedge funds, private equity firms that are buying, let's say, 100, 200, 300 unit buildings, a lot of times what they're looking for are value add opportunities whereby they'll go in and replace the laminate countertops with granite. They'll replace the, let's say, the older appliances with stainless steel appliances. They'll put in the washer and dryer inside the units. 
and then they can let's say charge 150 or 200 dollars more per month and so right there they have their calculation of how much they invest versus how much their increase in rent is you could do the same thing on a smaller level on the duplexes on the triplexes on the quads you can make small adjustments to improve the rental rate. Another thing you have to look at is so often the people that have owned rental property for a long time have not kept up with the times. Rental rates have exploded. I mean, there are markets where rental rates in the last year have gone up by 30 or 40 percent. So by simply bringing it up to market value, you can play a key role, even if you have to, let's say, pay the tenant to leave. So multifamily, it encompasses a lot here, but it's the idea that you're going to make it into a 12% plus productivity deal. It may not start out that way, but you see opportunity where others don't. You see those little changes you can make, whether it be updating the kitchen, whether it be adding the laundry facilities, or so big as being able to add the number of units. Now, of course, you have to check the zoning. But if you're able to do those kinds of things, you could turn a mediocre income-producing property into an extraordinary income-producing property. Maybe there's other things you can lease on the property. Maybe there's, maybe it's near a lake, it's near an ocean, and you can rent the garage for someone to store their boat. I mean, I don't want to go too far down the anti-land use and zoning laws side of things, right? You have to be careful in case a neighbor complains. But you've got to look at all the different ways on these properties that you review, how you can make those more income producing. A lot of times, if you're wondering how our apprentices do it, they're marketing for motivated sellers, they're looking for off-market deals, and then ever so often something comes across that's just tailor-made to, uh, to fit this mold. And that's how they do it. Others are specifically looking for this stuff. Let's say, for example, they find a, a particular niche they want to drill down on. And let's say they then go through the public records and they develop a list of a 1,000 or 3,000 of the properties. And they're direct mailing those properties or they're using the other tools uh, straight to voicemail, straight to text or email with, with a skip tracing tool. And they're trying to reach out to those specific properties to find one of those property uh, owners that wants to sell. Because they see an opportunity that the others don't. They understand the law. They understand how they can maybe turn a single family into a duplex or better yet, maybe the zoning allows for up to four units and there's only three, but you could maybe put a wall here and add some plumbing there and voila, you've got a four unit. So these right here can either just come along as a result of your heavy duty off marketing of motivated sellers, or it can be purposeful because that's what you're looking for. But if you park here, you're going to do well because there is a ton of demand for housing, especially affordable housing. And if you look at what some of the bigger hedge funds are doing, they are buying huge quantities of single family homes. Now they're paying a little bit too much for what we would do as individual investors, but they also see the, the writing on the wall that this is gonna be a renting population. There's gonna be a lot of people that are never gonna be able to own. And so multifamily is rock solid. And this is something that you could find a uh, tremendous amount of opportunities to hit this kind of productivity level. Another honey hole is commercial real estate, specifically apartments and mobile home parks. Now, they have to be smaller than where all of the bigger institutional buyers are picking up deals. So apartments are going to be less than 50 units or even less than that. Mobile home parks are going to be in that range too. Commercial is not something that I talk about on my channel. The one I, I recommend you go to for advice on commercial real estate is Commercial Property Advisors, Peter Harris, my good friend. Check him out. And he is the guy and his team are the people to work with to learn about this. Now, you do have to have more money to be in commercial, in my opinion. Commercial real estate requires quite a bit more money because they typically require uh, 25 or more, depending on the type of asset, as far as a down payment. And if we're talking about 
an apartment of 10 units and each unit selling for $70,000, I mean, that's $700,000. And so when you have to put down 25 or more percent, and then in some cases you've got to be able to prove other assets to get that loan, it's a, it's a different world, right? I've had many of my apprentices make a lot of money with me in residential real estate. They made a half million, a million, a couple million dollars. And then what they do is they then upgrade and they start doing commercial deals afterwards, okay? So it's very common to start in residential and you might pick up some of these trophy assets here and then you own them for quite a while and you might sell them and do a 1031 exchange and go into a bigger commercial property. Now, some of you might say, yeah, but Phil, commercial, I mean, that's really hard to find these kind of numbers. I mean, if you if you look at productivity like a cap rate, well, then there's almost never 12 caps, and if there are, they're in some awful area, and it's high risk. Wait a minute. I'm not talking about on-market. I'm not talking about stuff that's on LoopNet. It's, that has a broker involved. I'm talking about off-market deals. That's also what, what Peter Harris is preaching, off-market deals, and then you have to make some adjustments, do some value add, to really improve the performance so that you're able to get to these kind of numbers, but they're every bit doing these kind of numbers. I've talked to them about it. Absolutely. So there you have it. The most productive rental properties. And you know what? If you haven't read my book, How to Be a Real Estate Investor, I give it away for free. Also, if you'd like to work with me and my team, if you'd like to become a first-class market-leading real estate investor, consider my apprentice program where my team and I, we will guide, we will train you, we will work with you hand in hand.